The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of earthly things. But the one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever does accept his testimony certifies that God is trustworthy. For the one whom God sent speaks the words of God. He does not ration his gift of the Spirit. The Father loves the Son and has given everything over to him. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever disobeys the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains upon him. The Gospel of the Lord. As we move through the scriptures on these weekdays of the Easter season, it is helpful to pay attention to one of the most important characters running through the narratives about whom we speak little explicitly during the season, even though his presence is hard to miss, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Easter season begins, obviously, on Easter, and it ends with Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is part of the Easter season. It is not a separate celebration. And so note there's an intrinsic connection between the resurrection of the Lord, his victory on the cross, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. They form a unified mystery. And it's important to catch that, because as we read through the scriptures in the Easter season, note the power of the character of the Holy Spirit in animating the apostolic witness of the disciples who identify him as the one who testifies on their behalf in our first reading today. And note how the Lord, likewise, in our gospel readings this week, has made several references to the Holy Spirit that will be poured out, including today's beautiful statement that he does not ration his gift of the Spirit. What an interesting expression that is. He does not ration it. And why would we ration anything? We're afraid that it will run out. We impose rationing when the supply is limited and there's not enough to give everybody what they want, and we're hoping to give just enough for everybody to get by. That's the essence of rationing. And because we're afraid of running out and we're dealing with a scarcity, we are cautious and careful and grudging in our giving. And so note what the Lord says. The gift of the Spirit is not such a thing. It is not the kind of thing that the Almighty is worried about running out. There is no scarcity of supply. 
there is no danger of a shortfall. Rather, because there is an infinite abundance, the Lord will be generous. And it is not a grudgingly surrendered gift, but one that has an abundance to it. What a marvelous, marvelous statement that is on the part of the Lord. And we begin with that reference because we are moving toward that day by which the Easter season ends with our celebration of that abundant gift of the Holy Spirit, whose abundant exercise in the life of the church we are reading about in the Acts of the Apostles in our first readings. And note that it is this same Spirit so generously and abundantly given that has made the Apostles such compelling and effective witnesses to the resurrection of the Lord. Note again the inseparable connection. The victory of Jesus comes to a certain realization, a certain completeness, when the Spirit is poured out upon His church. And the Spirit is poured out on the church so that that victory be carried to the furthest corners of the globe. And so then, turning again now directly to the events in our readings, we have this remarkable interchange between the disciples and the Sanhedrin who has arrested them and brought them into the court. And this is after they've already had their miraculous liberation from prison. And so one has to marvel at the brazen stubbornness of their accusers. They have already been miraculously delivered from prison, and now, they're, and now they are hauled back in before the same court who threatens them. And one has to say, are you guys going to get the memo or not? Are you going to get the memo or not? Because as we saw, placing armed guards outside the tomb didn't stop the resurrection from happening. Arresting the disciples didn't stop the preaching of the gospel. And so now we're going to threaten you. And so Peter now, turning to these men, says... Well, you know, you're putting me in an interesting spot. I either listen to you because I'm afraid of your threat or I keep trusting the guy who rose from the dead. And you're threatening me with death, isn't it? Note how powerful this statement is. And we, we chuckle over it, but this is a deadly, deadly serious thing. And note then as Peter speaks to them, and they're saying, well, you're just trying to accuse us of being responsible for his death. And Peter's answer is pretty clear. Actually, I'm not. That's already well established. You are responsible. What I'm trying to point out to you is that the one you tried to kill, God has raised up. So why are you still trying to stop this? Because you're not fighting against us. You're not fighting against a group of disciples speaking in his name. You're 
resisting the one who raised him from the dead in the first place. Why would you do that? You killed him, hanging him on a tree, and God didn't respect your judgment. God raised him up. And so now, you guys whose judgment God didn't respect in the first place are passing judgment on us and threatening us with the same fate. And the essence then of Peter's witness is if we're preaching a lie, you're right, we'd give in because we'd be afraid of you. But we're preaching the resurrection from the dead. We're preaching the fact that God has done something decisive. And if we really believe that, and we do, then we can't surrender to you. He's given us his spirit to stand in exactly this strength, the strength of the witness that the victory has been won. God has chosen. God has acted in and through Jesus Christ. And if God has done that and sent us as his witnesses to that, why am I going to let you give me another message? It sounds so beautifully simple when we put it that way, doesn't it? And here, however, we marvel at this simple clarity by which St. Peter speaks with this holy directness. And then we pause and we look at the muddled character of our own hearts and our own faith, where oftentimes we do end up muddling the message. We do allow the world and the difficulties it places before us to cause us to lay aside parts of our witness to Jesus Christ. And we see how this gift of the Spirit that the Lord has poured out on His church is first and foremost not about capacities to do remarkable things, but to live with a remarkable clarity, to live with a remarkable truthfulness, the truth of the victory that God has won in and through Jesus Christ for us. And again now we come back to Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. And once again, as we've seen moving through these gospel passages, what does the Lord do? He insists in no uncertain terms on his personal, individual uniqueness and decisiveness for everyone. The one who is from above is above all. Note he didn't say, the many who are from above. The one. The one who is from above. And what is the above? The above is where God is found. That one who has come from above. And note the implication. There are not several who have come from above. There is one. Many prophets have been sent, and the one from above sent them, but they themselves are not from above. 
I, the Lord says, am from above. And the one who is from above, when he speaks, he speaks with the authority of having seen what is above, of knowing the truth of what is above. And he speaks what he has heard. And so note, he does not have a borrowed message. He is not someone who has to work at learning his lines. Rather, he speaks out of who he is and how he has lived above. And so the Lord then puts before the teacher, of course my teaching is different because it's from above. Not sent from above, lived above and brought to you. I speak not with a message that was given to me merely. I speak rather out of the reality that I know and the reality of who I am. This is why elsewhere in the Gospels, the people routinely marvel at Jesus because of the authority of his teaching. It is an authoritativeness founded on this certain truth. I am the one from above. And amazingly, you know, you can, you can, hear, you can hear the frustration in his voice. And the one from above speaks truly, and there ain't nobody who listens to him. You know, and at that point, probably want to raise our hand and say, guilty. Um, but note this insistence that what I say to you is not the same as what anybody else says, says to you. The teaching that I bring is not just more of the same of what you've already heard, however much it relates to it. I am not one of many moral philosophers. I am not one of many wisdom teachers. I am the one from above. And so responding to me, responding to the truth that comes from above, is by definition a response to Almighty God himself. If I am the one that God has sent from above, if I am the one who has been with God above and come to you, then rejecting me is rejecting the one who sent me. Note again how simple the math is here. The Lord will save the world one way. The Lord has sent a savior, one, not many. There is one victor over sin and death, not dozens. There is one. And this one who has been sent, when we respond to him, gives us the full generosity of what he has come to bring. And so note how Jesus now connects this. And he will not ration the gift of the Spirit to those who respond. And so note the generosity of response by which we turn to the Lord 
is the measure by which our lives can open up to receive that full gift that He has such an abundance of. The Lord's gift is unlimited. Unfortunately, we're not. And yet, the more we can respond, the more we open our lives to Him, the more we turn to Him, trust Him, surrender to Him, the more fully He will give the Spirit to us with an exceeding generosity. Because however generous our response is to the Word of Christ, He remains more generous than us. And so it's not a tit-for-tat. If you open up this much, you'll get this much of the Spirit. No. If you open even a little, you will receive an abundance of the Spirit that goes beyond your little openness. Note how marvelous that is. We are the ones who ration things. And sometimes we make the mistake of thinking, I have to ration my responsiveness. I have to ration my obedience. I have to ration my forgiveness because it's limited. And yet the Lord is also saying to us, I am willing to pour an unlimited source of goodness and forgiveness into you so that you don't need to ration those things. And how wonderful that is. And this is what St. Peter is saying. The abundance out of which we're acting is an abundance that goes beyond us. Why would we limit it? Why would we conceal it? Why would we think about rationing it when it has been so generously given for us to share with you? And St. Peter concludes by saying, and God will do this for everybody who responds to him. And so he leaves the invitation hanging. You guys could respond, and this could be you too. But what do we hear? Now they want to put them to death. And Peter's already reminded them that didn't work the first time you tried it. What makes you think it's going to work because you threaten it now? Note how marvelous this is. He stands before them not with any miraculous power, but with a miraculously generous faithfulness. And that's all the testimony that he needs to give. How wonderful that really is. And note how beautiful it is that that same spirit that the Lord will not ration is going to act upon this altar today. And that spirit generously poured out on the church will affect the transformation of bread and wine into the very personal presence of Jesus Christ himself. And we will come forward and stretch out our hands and we'll receive something that seems small, that tiny disc of consecrated bread, which is his body, and yet encloses infinity within itself because the Lord does not ration his giving. Amen.